0: Is it a hard book to understand? <laughs> if you were here last week, you, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It would be probably behoove you to get the podcast, just send your love gift to our ministry, call the 800 number that is on the screen, uh, or just go to conduitchurch.com and get it free. Um, uh, just because we did a, I, just, I did a flyover last week of the entire book. In 43 minutes, uh, which was uh, fascinating, but it worked. But if you want to go back and listen to that, it might give you some uh, some help in that. Is this where we're going with this? I have my little fancy thing up here, and I realize we might have a connection issue. Did it work? One second. So, Revelation chapter 1. If we don't get it, we don't get it. Verse 1. And by the way, you're welcome. When I say turn to the book of Revelation, it's not hard to find, is it? Right? I could have easily gone for Habakkuk, or, you know what I'm saying? So you're welcome. Um, I feel like it wants to work, Jonathan, but it's not going to. That's what I feel like is happening right now. Uh, The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 1, which God gave him. Okay, every time it does that, it's like shutting off my, uh, so let's just roll without it. How about that? Because every time I do that, it turns off my Bible. Did it work? Hey, can we not put that email up there? Just shut it off. I don't know what I said and that. It was probably nice to Tony, but... Uh. <laughs> we got it? Can we do it? Wow. I think that's it. You know what, guys? It has been that kind of a week. Can I just say that right now? Like, I mean, that kind of a week where everything... Uh, that could go wrong has, uh, seems to have, so, so that's, uh, I'm not shaken by that, it just happens. The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants the things that soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, would you be with us today as we just take a few minutes to dive into your word, into your promises, and into your supernatural communication to us. We ask that uh, you would quiet our hearts and our souls and allow us to tune in to what you've got to say to us. And it's in your name uh, that we pray. Amen. I had a moment this week that was a little awkward. I went to the Walmart, and I go to the bathroom at the Walmart, which is obvious. That's an awkward thing anyway, but I get to the bathroom, and a a, a door flies open, and there's Ted, Ted Chesser. Now, I'm a guy, and he's a guy, and immediately we go into the, uh, I don't think we're supposed to be here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is weird. Do I, and I mean, there's like hardly any eye contact going on at all. Like I'm kind of looking at the ground, hey, how are you, how's the lawn, you know, what do you talk about? And, and we sort of, uh, there was no, uh, no uh, back tap, no side hug, no physical contact of any kind, uh, not even a fist bump. And then I just sort of uh, sprinted out the door and we'll you know, see it later. I just wasn't prepared for this. I didn't know what do you do when you see a dude in the bathroom? Now, I know you girls would, you know, we, we talked about, you know, you, you just have a conversation, a tickle fight. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs> but it 's not like us and as awkward as it was for that because i wasn 't prepared for it wasn 't ready i didn 't i wasn 't know what I was supposed to do there 's another moment I was thinking about this week that was actually more awkward uh, in my life, and it actually thank God my wife is not in here this morning. She must be with the babies. It happened uh, at the shopping mall now i 'm a guy, and the shopping mall this is actually a picture from inside of Cool Springs uh, mall and you might familiarize me with it if you're a dude, that that store right there is a store that is kind of a fallback for us guys. Uh, if we're in a pinch on Valentine's Day, it's uh, Victoria's Secrets. Now, I've got a little bit of a strategy when I go in there, but it's, it's not that good of one, which is no eye contact, look at the ground, you don't look at the pictures, and you kind of just say, okay, that's on that mannequin, whatever that is, uh, I need it, and then I go. Now, on occasion, you'll get through a couple. I have to make a couple of swing bys uh, walking outside so I can kind of see the mannequin thing. And then uh, so I'm not in there looking up at the mannequins. <laughs> so I'm in there. Uh, I think it was last year. might have been the year before. And I'm doing that, that the awkward thing. I'm looking at the ground, and I'm like, okay, the mannequin thing. So I'm going to grab on the shelf. And it, you always feel like, I mean, you just feel gross anyway as a guy. It's like, God, please don't see anybody I know, and, and then all of a sudden, part of it wasn't on the, the shelf, and I'm like, oh, gosh, now what do I do? So, you know, there's drawers, and it's completely, I mean, honest, everything about it is completely beyond my grasp, and I hear a, uh, can I help you? And my response, yeah, uh, I'm trying to get that <laughs> here, and she says, Darren, it's me, And I look, and it's, and I probably shouldn't say her name. Um, she's a young kid that, you know, was part of the Bible study that I'd led. And and I'm like, um, yeah, I was, I, was, yeah you know, I was trying to get that thing. And so she says, oh, yeah, and she, well, she, the drawer's open, she knows exactly which one. And then she says, and I quote, Would you like, comfort, fit, or thong? <laughs> and I say, I say, and I swear I say these words, I don't think we should be talking about this. <laughs> She's not getting it. She says, "Okay, a thong." So she puts it in the bag. I'm like, "I can't even." she She knows. I can't take this home now. I don't, you know. And then she wants to talk about prayer requests. Can you pray for me? And I'll hear that. I'm like, "Oh my gosh! everything's wrong about this. I can't pray for you here. I I gotta go. I uh, I wasn't prepared." For that, obviously, and I think about Revelation, and when he says that he wrote these things, is so we could be ready for what's coming. We could know what's going to happen. Had I have known, of course, had I have known, I wouldn't have gone there, because um, they have the internet. You you know that, right, guys? Well, I don't have to go in there anymore. But um, I I just wasn't prepared for that. And one of the things that Revelation does for us is it allows us to diffuse some of the potential awkwardness in our future because we at least know, hey, this is kind of where it's going. This, these are the things that could happen, and here is your plan for when that happens. I, I felt like I handled the situation pretty good with Ted. Not so good at the other one. You know, I was like, ah. Uh, uh, but this gives us the playbook way ahead of time. When you read in John chapter 20, verse 31, John, who wrote the book of Revelation... He says there that he wrote these words in this book of John that we might believe. And when you look at that book, it's what it is. It's a book that says, hey, here is about Jesus, and now you might believe in what he is, uh, who he is, and what he's come to do. John, again, in, in these little letters that he would write in 1 John, he would write in 1 John 5, 13, that he's written these things that we might Know that we might be sure of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life and in my life. In Revelation chapter 1, he says, These things which are yet to come, that he wrote them so that we could be ready. So we can read the book of John and say, Hey, these are things written that we could be, leave, and what who Jesus is, that we could read 1 John. And yeah, we can be sure of who he is. And in Revelation, we can read it and say, hey, we can be ready for what's to come. And that's what it is. When I look at chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Interesting, by the way, him. Who's the him in that sentence? Jesus. Which begs the question, does Jesus know everything? When he was on earth, Luke Chapter 2, he says. That, it says that Jesus grew, what, in wisdom, stature and favor with God and man. He was growing in wisdom. I personally think that's why the baptism of Jesus was so important, because it was him recognizing a death, burial, resurrection. It was him submitting to what God had called him to do. He had learned it, had figured it out because of the Scripture's and he learned it. Isn't that fascinating? Now, I believe he's 100% God, 100% man. But when he became a man on earth, I mean, think about it. He wasn't just walking on his bathwater. Right? I mean, that'd be hard to explain. The PTA. I mean, Jesus got him and walked on his bathwater again. Uh, you know, you always hate those parents that are bragging on their kids. Man, If you be God's mom's friend, oh, man. But he... <laughs> He learned some things as he was going, and I believe that that's part of when he set aside what he did on earth. And it explains why in Mark 13, he said that no man knows the day or the hour. Not Harold Camping, not any other nut job on the internet that says they know the day and the hour. He said not even the sun, the angels in heaven. I believe that after he died and resurrected and ascended, that that is that God made this plan that he then became aware of it, then he knows now. And, and, I, and the answer is, yeah, I believe that he's 100% God, 100% man. And that as in that moment, there's a mystery. I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than to say that that was his revelation to Jesus, that now Jesus is making available to you and to me. And he said that he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw Blessed is the one, and we talked about that last week. The reason this book is so important, it's the only book. There are 66 books in the Bible. This entire library that's put into one book, and there is only one that has the audacity to say, hey, there's a special blessing for those who read it. Specifically, read it aloud. Those who hear it. Those who keep it. There's a specific blessing to us who do that. But he would say in this first chapter this. He's writing this letter to these seven churches in Asia. Now, when I say Asia, don't think Thailand, China, Japan. Asia in this context is modern-day Turkey. The things that are going on in Turkey right now are, are insane and crazy, just like much of the Middle East. These seven churches were there, and we'll get into that in depth as to what those who those seven churches were and what it speaks of, but that's who he's writing to. And what I am, what gives me peace when I read this chapter is this here. When he says in verse 4 that grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. By the way, sidebar, there are people out there, Benny Hinn being one of them, who has said publicly over and over again, I don't know if he still holds this, that the Trinity, each of the Trinity has its own little Trinity inside of the Trinity. That's kooky talk. The seven spirits before his throne, then what does it mean? Let the Bible interpret the Bible always. Isaiah 11, 1. It speaks of the sevenfold quality of the, the, the Spirit, the ministries of the Spirit. You can write it down and go there later. Isaiah 11.1, 1. and I believe that's what this is referring to. It's not that there are a mini trinity for each of the trinity. This is the spirit, the perfect ministry of the spirit. Isaiah 11.1, 1. whose seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth. I get peace when I see that sentence right there. But he would go on and say this to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail his account, on account of him even so. Amen. I get peace from that because of this. John was writing this to a group of people who had been mercilessly tortured for a decade by a guy who, when he was three years old, his father died. His mother was a uh, a strong, powerful woman in the empire. They were actually excommunicated, kicked out. She finds her way back in and marries a guy who's in power. He was adopted into this. He's this great, great grandson of Caesar Augustus. His name is Caesar Nero. Nero would grow up, and by the age of 10, his mother was tired of the new husband, sends in little Nero to bring dinner to daddy, poisoned him, and he died. When Nero is 15, he gets married, and he gets tired of that wife, and so he strangles her. By 19, he's married again. He gets tired of that wife, and he murders her and a third wife. He would execute his own brother, and as his insanity was growing, he would ultimately murder his own mother. And in this insanity, at one point, he burns the city down, blames it on the Christians. He's making room for his empire to grow so he can have more statues of Nero. His persecution was so intense that he would take Christians. He'd send out his legions into the countryside and demand to be called Lord, demand to be worshipped. And when they refused, if they refused, they would take him back. And in his imperial courtyards, he would dip them in wax, plant them there with a post, light them on fire, and ride through the imperial gardens on his chariot, naked, screaming, you're the light of the world, (laughs) mocking them. When he was in his 20s, he slit his own throat and committed suicide. That was Caesar Nero. That was the leader that these guys had been under for a decade, there's a new guy in town. There's, they think, "Oh man, there's peace finally. God has delivered us." Whew! Until he is assassinated, and a new guy is in town. His name is Domitian, and Domitian was more dangerous because he wasn't just insane. He was calculated about it. Under Nero's watch, hundreds of thousands, up to millions of Christians were brutally murdered. Under Domitian, it would be the same, but he was targeting leaders specifically. And Eusebius' church history tells us that it was Domitian who ordered John, who by this time was 100 years old, to be brought back and to be killed by uh, boiling oil, fry daddy, tater tots, put him in the oven. And it teaches us that he didn't die, that he survived. And John survives this And Eusebius tells us that he was then taken to this island called Patmos, which was like a prison island, which was to die. That was what it was. And it's under that environment that John would get this revelation of who Jesus is. And incidentally, if the only thing that we're doing is reading Revelation to just get end-time information, you have completely missed the boat. Primarily, if that is your goal, yeah, there's information in there. But if that is our goal, we're going to be left wanting. It's the revelation of Jesus and who he is. And that is absolutely critical because the way that he opens this letter is to say to these people, you have a kingdom. Jesus is the king over all. Now, keeping in mind, John, it had been decades since Jesus left. Since they said, oh, behold, I come quickly since I'm coming back soon, and here's, you know, decades later going, hello, soon. Soon would be great. Now would be good. It would have been hard for these people that lived through this thinking, did Jesus forget about us? John would be thinking, no, no, no. I saw him. He resurrected. I know it. I saw him. I know it. Why then? What's happening? And it's Jesus appearing here. the, The angel saying, hey, it's not over yet. Because I've given you a kingdom. You are a part of the kingdom that is not this kingdom. I am the king over all of these rulers. When this letter would have been delivered to these seven churches and then made its way around to the Roman Empire churches, this would have been amazing news. Oh, no, no, it's not over yet. I don't have to take up a sword and go fight against my leaders because Jesus is coming. And he's got that under control. When I remember that there is a kingdom here that is not of this world, then I know my role. It gives me peace and it lets me know what my plan should be. Because when I look around the world now and I think, Iran, there's an American citizen in prison, sentenced for eight years, because he's a Christian. There's a pastor over there, the pastor's lawyer, who had defended him in court. He's in prison. This week in Nigeria, suicide bombers murdered Christians in a church. In Mali, the church is being desecrated, decimated by Islamic radicals. In Turkey, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, I could go on and on and on. I'm thinking, oh, That could get me a little freaked out, but this world is not my home. This kingdom is not my kingdom. And I could actually then get so caught up in that that I could miss that in my own country, it ain't that much better. They might be murdering Christians in Nigeria, but we are every day a thousand unborn babies, lives are ended because we just didn't have time for it. That's in America. In America, we have a, a system that is so upside down where a pastor who simply says that marriage is to be between a man and a woman is uninvited from the White House, but a rapper whose lyrics are about killing cops is invited. Remember Gangnam Style? Four years ago, Psy releases a song, you can find it on the internet readily, about murdering American troops. Fascinating, isn't it? You think, that guy? Yeah, that guy. And That guy is invited to the White House. Our world is upside down. In New Jersey and New York right now, if your buildings or homes were destroyed, and you are a owner of a store of uh, exotic things, for instance, the government can provide assistance for you in helping you rebuild your store. If you are a church, if you're a place of worship, a synagogue, you cannot. Because it's separation of church and state. Our world is so upside down. Do you know what I'm saying? It's absolutely maddening. It doesn't make any sense, and so the question is, what do I do about that? What is it that the church should be doing, can be doing, ought to be doing? What do we get to do? And I look at this, and I think, man, I'll bet John in his day they had the same exact questions. What do we do? Do we grab a sword? Do we tweet about it? How do we handle this? It, it seems confusing, doesn't it? it? With me, I mean, I feel like a, a little bit of a uh, not disenfranchised. I just sort of feel discontent. Like, I, I vote for this or that, and it's the same thing happens. All of a sudden, we're $16 trillion in debt. and what, It seems a little hopeless, doesn't it? And it does if I think that this world is my home. If I'm under the impression that this thing, this let's say I get 100 years like John, that this is it. This is the whole point. And if I think that, then my tendency is to get angry, to say hateful and hurtful things. But when I remember, and sometimes I do, that this world is not my home, that there is a kingdom and we are here. Peter would say that in Second Peter, I think, 3. He would say that you and I, we're a holy nation. We're called to be separate, to be called out from among them. But what he says was really interesting. Now you know this, you're a holy nation. And in fact, he follows the same pattern because he says you're priests. You're a kingdom of priests. That's what John is saying. He says that you're a holy nation, you're priests. And he goes on to talk about, hey, here's what we can do. Don't let your life get caught up in immorality and the lusts of the flesh. That's not about legalism. That's just about recognizing that sin is just really, really harmful to you and to I. God's not some kind of a buzzkill. He just knows, hey, don't do that because that's going to affect you and your family really badly. So to live differently, but then he talks about this. He says, and let your good works silence the talk of, of foolish men. You see, here's the thing. I, I can listen to the news like you can, and I can hear a lot of foolish lot of foolishness. And I mean, you can hear foolishness on both sides. It's like whatever question gets asked, they've clearly got their little sheet of paper. You know, is the sky blue? Well, I'd love to answer that question, but you know, it's just, there's no, it's just, they're just reading the talking points. It's foolishness. And what talks, what shuts them up is our doing good. Jesus, uh, Peter in Acts 10 He's preaching at Cornelius's house, and he said that he actually introduces Jesus, this Jesus Christ who went around doing good. We have an opportunity as a church. We've only got 24 hours in any given day. We've only got of that maybe 12 to 14 hours to actually do something with our lives on this side of heaven. What are we going to spend it doing? What if we spend it doing good? I get to choose, I have to choose, do I go do this, or do I go march on the Capitol, or can I go and do good in my neighborhood and with the people around me and do what Jesus did? I don't know that there's a rule of thumb on this other than the Holy Spirit, but I believe as a church, if they can say anything and accuse conduit of anything, please let it be that we went around doing good. Peter, I love because... He was known as Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a zealot was? It was like the tea party, but with swords. That's when Jesus found Peter. That's who he was. Get a sword, let's go. The zealots were going to overthrow the Roman oppressors. It's why in the garden, the guy to draw a sword and chop off the dude's ear was Peter. Jesus, hang on, I apologize. He shouldn't have done that and put that back on. Peter, no, no, don't. Not yet. The time has not come. He said, should I not take drink of this cup that my father has for me? It would be Peter, that guy, draw the sword, who would write these words decades later. Because you know what he realized? That me drawing a sword doesn't shut anybody up. Martin Luther King didn't shut anybody up by firing back. It's February. It's Black History Month. It should be something we know and remember that peaceful demonstration is what he did. And that's what, when that happened on Selma, Alabama, when that was all over the news, that these people who didn't do anything were peaceful, were gunned down, it changed the entire conversation nationally. The, 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 the good works is what will shut them up. Now, here's what I'm saying in that. He actually goes on to say, on the day of the visitation. Okay, here's what that means. This side of heaven, there are those. Jesus said, hey, if they hate you, congratulations. They hated me too. That's going to happen. But on the day of visitation, when someone wants to throw something back on Jesus, well, what, what, what about, he's, he's saying that it's the, it's what happened to Paul. It's what happened to Peter. It's what happened to John. It's what happened to Saeed. It's what maybe will happen to you and I when we get the opportunity under great persecution and oppression to stand up and say, this world is not my home, that'll shut them up. You saw it. You know it. I believe that is one of the reasons why it's the Save Saeed campaign. Joe and I had a conversation over email with Russ, and it was like, should we really do that? Because what if God needs him there? I think that's a spiritually mature question to ask. I think that Paul spent a bunch of his life in jail because he couldn't sit still long enough to write what God needed him to write. So put him in jail for a little bit, then he's got time, and now he'll write what we now hold on to dearly. Looks like Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians. I don't know. I believe that we can ask him anyway. I mean, my kids, they know that sometimes the answer is no or yes, they don't know, but you know what? It doesn't keep them from asking. They ask anyway, and here's what I know. When we ask about him, Pastor Said, or we ask about our own government or the things that are going on there, we can pray whatever's on our heart to pray, and it might be 100% wrong, but great news. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf, and I believe what that simply means is it's like him saying, hey, God, I know this is what Darren's asking for, but here's what he really wants. This is his heart. He didn't know it yet believe and we're going to see this in revelation that the incense prayers like incense that the Jesus is lighting there and it's like him sweetening up my stinky prayers. When I remember that my kingdom is not here, I'm not afraid for my children anymore. When I remember that Jesus rules over all of these Ahmadinejad, Abbas, Netanyahu, Obama, none of them are king of the world. Not even Leonardo DiCaprio. It's Jesus. And that he is coming back. He will set things right. And that I swear, I promise, I'm positive that 2,000 years later, John is not in heaven going, man, that really stunk. That whole Patmos thing, ugh. You ever slept on a rock? I don't think he's, I think it's, what, he, what the Bible says, we'll all be before Jesus going, Righteous and true were your judgments, which is simple. That was awesome. God, the way that worked out and you did that thing and here and there, that was amazing. And I believe John is going to be sitting right next to us. And when we look at what's happening in our society right now, we'll be able to look back and say, Oh, no, I, I see you. You had that under control the whole time. You knew what was going on. This is your kingdom. And between now and then, we know this. If it's not my kingdom that I know that what my plan is, is not to overthrow. It's to occupy until he comes. In Luke chapter 11, there's this parable where Jesus talks about giving uh, 10 pounds, 10 minus, to each of these servants. It was right after Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little guy climbed up in a tree? the tax collector who went and gave half of his money to feed the poor. And from that, he goes right into the story, which incidentally is different than the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents speaks of this guy had this many and this person had this many and different levels. I think that speaks of our giftings, our talents, and our things that we can do. But this was about the equality of God. We all have the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. How am I going to spend that? Because he says that when he went away, he told these Servants, Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He knows the time is about to come. And he says, tells the story about this guy that leaves his servants with each of them with ten pounds, ten dollars, whatever you want to call it, each and says, occupy until I come back, using what you have. You all have the same amount of time. Occupy till I get back. And he says this, and this is we're gonna we're landing with this. But when I remember that this kingdom is not mine. What I know is that the kingdom on the way the world to come is, and what I know is when this master comes back, it says that he made some rulers over 10 cities, some over five cities, all based upon how we invested the time and the relationship with Christ that we had. I believe that in heaven, that when we spend our time here doing what God has us to do, being about our Father's business, not my business, Our entire eternity depends on it. What I'm gonna spend an eternity doing is based upon what I'm doing here, not on punishment. The wrath of God was poured out on the cross on Jesus. God's not mad at you, but He's saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to invest for an eternity. You got 24 hours in a day, how are you gonna spend it? How are you gonna spend your 10 minus, your 10 pounds? Man, please. Spend it wisely. I don't know that this is true or it's even possible, but I wonder a million years into eternity if there will be some that are just kind of walking around kind of bored. They didn't spend their time here wisely, and so they're there. It's awesome. It's heaven. I don't understand it. I don't comprehend. My mind goes tilt when I think about it because it's heaven. That's awesome. Even if I just made it by the skin of my teeth. Awesome. Awesome. That's not what Jesus presents to us, though. He presents to us this idea that our, what we do here matters. And you know what I would hate? I would hate it if I got there and you got there and we thought that this mattered that much, just sitting here on a Sunday morning. That, that's, that I, I was in church every Sunday, every time the doors were open, I was there. And that that's when I'm, hey, I'm ready to get my thing, reward. Woo. Yeah, but what about the least of these What about loving those in your neighborhood who had nothing possibly could repay you? What about that in Matthew 25? God, did you see the awesome sign? I went down to the Capitol and I picketed, and it was awesome, the sign. (sighs) What if that was it? What if the way that you loved each other mattered more? I'm not saying that this doesn't matter. We're here together. There's fellowship. We're challenging each other. There's safety in numbers, and... Hebrews 10 says we're encouraging each other to do good things for each other. In a church setting is when you can actually find out about needs with each other. I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying if this is it, you, man, you're missing out. I know I did. My prayer is this as we wind down. If you guys want to come back, this kingdom is not ours Look, I love America. Do not hear me wrong. I love my country. I love what God is doing here. The mission around the world has been forever helped because of what's happened in America. People going to where God has called them to go. But if I think this place is more awesome than God's kingdom, then I want to fight for this kingdom more than I want to submit to God's kingdom. I want to do like Peter and draw my sword. When Jesus said, no, 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 your sword is the word of God. Just go forth and speak the truth. Go forth and love your neighbors as yourself. Go forth and be a church to the community in front of you, to the world around you. That's the kingdom of God. And as we wait, I don't know if it gets worse before it gets better. If I'm reading this right, it does. But we'll be able to be like John. We'll be able to be like Paul who wrote to the church in Rome, who was under oppression at that time, and say, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness and joy and peace and the Holy Ghost. You'd be able to say that and mean it, no matter what's going on around us, when I remember that this kingdom is not my kingdom. When I remember, like the Fadley's have learned, that my heart is here and it's there, it's... Might that be for all of us this year? Might we all get a piece of that in our own hearts that we could remember this world is not our home and I don't care. I don't care if tomorrow Obama declares dictatorship and takes over the place. This world is not my home. I will not draw a sword. I will just love you. You love me. We you, it's, we're a kingdom of priests. This is so easy. And I know that some of us, you know, the zealots in us, we want to go, and, and that's great, but I mean, how's that working out for you, really? Let me get you on an episode of Preppers on National Geographic Channel. I mean, that's it. Like, congratulations. What if it's not about that and not making this my home, but recognizing that Jesus is coming, that he's got it under control, And I don't have to be freaked out and worried for my children, for your children, for each other. And if they come for you, for me, then might we all go with righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost, knowing that even in prison, God can be glorified and that someday that'll all be set right. In the meantime, man, I hope Pastor Saeed gets out tomorrow. Absolutely. But what I really know is that God's good, and he's got it under control, and he's going to take care of it. We can do our part. We can speak. We can be a voice, knowing that sometimes the answer to what I want is no, just like with your own children. (laughs) Ethan uh, used to love to go to the doctor until he realized, oh, wait a minute, sometimes they stab you with little needles. He didn't know that before. He didn't know that was an option. When he was little, I'm like, oh, but either way, Daddy was taking him to the doctor, not because I wanted to punish him or to make him suffer, but because there was something that happened there that made him better and stronger. Said's just at the doctor's office. If God wants him out, I assure you, he'd be out today. In the meantime, we pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer will be answered one day, Jesus' own prayer. His will absolutely will be done on earth as it is in heaven when his kingdom comes. That is the fulfillment of that prayer. In the meantime, we occupy until he comes. I hope this makes sense. And I hope you know that I don't have this all figured out. And that sometimes I get freaked out and I tweet things I shouldn't. But might we together lock arms and challenge each other and admonish each other and be those that Peter spoke of, knowing that it is going to be okay. God is completely in control. He is the ruler of the earth. He is the ruler of every king, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, not because they're forced to, but because they know it. Like, oh, that's so true. Missed that. You really are Lord. And may we do that today as well. Father, you are Lord. Thank you so much for allowing me to not have to wait. That I figured it out. You downloaded it into me sooner. That I didn't have to wait until eternity to bow my knee. I can do it today knowing that you really are Lord. That what you do is make everything new again. That's your gig. You are redeeming us here. And you're redeeming the planet. And that one day you will make a new heaven, a new earth. Man, we look forward to that day the Omega part of you. We're thankful for the Alpha part, the beginning part, and what we ask for today is strength for the in-between. For those of us battling with sickness, or battle with job, or with finances, or relationship, those things that are in-between Alpha and Omega, might you show yourself true to us today, and us to remember, that this world is not my home, this is not my kingdom. Your kingdom is mine. I'm a holy nation. I'm part of this new thing that you've done. Thank you for that. And today we say to you, you are Lord. And to you be glory and honor and power forever and ever. And as John said in Revelation chapter 1, even so, amen. Well, let's stand together.